Just in case, will a few people stand by the walls to kind of hold them up a little bit, our stronger people. Um, I wore a vest because that's what you do when you preach up here on a Sunday, right? <laughs> I had Taylor pick out my outfit last night, and um, as she's going, she picks out this vest, and I'm like, is there, is there like just like a rule that just says that you have to wear a vest if you're going to be speaking from this pulpit? And I guess there is. So here I am. Um, if you were here last week, it was absolutely, absolutely incredible. And what he, what Mike was talking about last week, if you weren't here, I'm sorry, you missed out. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's, I'm like, why do I have to follow that? Like, really? Like, I have to come after that? Um, I was talking about it all week long with anybody. I, like, had a chance. It's like, this is, you know. But we're, um, just keep in mind, if you were here last week, his message, as I talk about today, um, But first, I just want to open us up in prayer. Our Father, our God, we welcome you in this place. Lord, let the words be your words, Lord, not my own. Lord, just move upon this congregation, Lord. Move upon this family, Lord, and just be amongst us and be within us and just move in this place. Lord, I ask your blessing upon this service, Lord. And we love you so much. Amen. So I'm going to be coming at you from John, chapter 20. And really, honestly, if you're in the Bible, I mean, you could go wherever you want, read whatever you want, and I'm not going to really know any different. And if you're using your phone as a Bible, I'm really not going to know what you're doing. Like, you could be on Amazon shopping for who knows what. And, you know, but hey, I'm just happy that you're here, right? I'm happy you're in church. I mean, (laughs) I could go into a lot of things about that, but like, you know, people that, like, if you, if you happen to fall asleep in church, it's like, at least you did it at church, right? You know? How confident is, is that person? I used to fall asleep in church all the time <laughs> when I was younger. I would stay up all late all night, and then all of a sudden I'd be at church, and uh, my sister would catch me, like, even with, like, a little bit of, like, little drool. She's like, Jay, come on, really, man? And I'm just like, I'm like, what? Well, I'm awake. I was totally awake. She's like, no, you, obviously we're not. But I'm just saying, I'm just glad that you're here because I really feel like kind of where we've been going with things, and this has been on my heart since January, and I'm going to talk to you about the concept of safety. We're going to talk about safety, security, and the church. Um, really, in, uh, safety has a place, I guess, in our lives, but um, we'll get to that. We're going to get to that. Let's get into John. Ch- uh, verse... John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. So, Jesus is going to reveal himself three times to the disciples. Okay? He's going to reveal himself three times. This is after the resurrection. He's been dead for three days. He's been in the grave. The disciples have not yet seen him. The disciples have not yet um, encountered. Uh, Two of them have gone to the tomb and seen that it was empty. Um, So where are these disciples? Right now, they are locked behind doors. Three days. Jesus is like, I'm going to be back in three days. Three days later, it's probably getting close to, you know, it's the evening, and they're probably like, so is this this happening? Is he he coming back? Do Do we miss something? Was he just... Was he talking about, was he in a metaphor? Was, was, what are we going to do? Uh, you think they know we're here? What's going to happen? 
I, I, I'm too young to die. The Jews are out there. They're going to get us. And then boom, there's Jesus standing amongst them, right? He's just, he's there. And it's like, okay, that's awesome, right? Jesus, and he's physical. He is physical. He can, you could touch him. He's there. So he, he didn't walk through the doors. He, I mean, he walked through the doors, but he walked through closed doors that he didn't have to open. He just was there, and he was in this room. And he says, peace be to you. These people are probably freaking out. All of a sudden, there's another person there. It's like, whoa, where did this guy come from? And it's like, peace be to you. And I mean, just can you imagine if like all of a sudden we're just sitting here, and right there, someone just like, there's someone just sitting there. And, you know, people might have a little, a little problem. Someone might just run. Someone might trip over somebody else. Maybe someone gets trampled. Um, but, you know, here he is. And Jesus starts off, peace be to you. And then when he said this, he had showed them his hands. He showed them his sides. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And glad is a horrible translation of what they really felt. Because, like, you could say glad right now and be like, Someone comes up and be like, oh, hey, I got married last week. And he'd be like, oh, I'm so glad for you. And really, you might not really be glad for them. You might be like, that's a horrible idea. You're just making a huge mistake right now. Uh, <laughs> so glad, you know, in our modern day way of using glad, it doesn't really fit. It's more like they were besides themselves. They were ecstatic. They were overwhelmed with joy because Jesus was here. His promise was true. Three days later, he rose from the grave and he stood among them and he was physically there. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Just a few chapters ago, Jesus was praying the same thing in John chapter 17 18. He was praying to God and it says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And what was Christ sent into the world for? Was Christ sent into this world for a life of peace, for a life of leisure and a life of pleasure, a life to accumulate wealth, a life to save up for his retirement plan, a life to just kind of sit back and hide behind his computer screen? And No, he wasn't, right? Jesus didn't avoid confrontation. Jesus didn't live safe. So um, he, he was the opposite of this. Jesus was unsafe. Um, Jesus was exciting. And a life after Jesus is worth it, worth it and exciting. Um, Jesus was sent here to die, okay? That's the end game. Jesus dies for our sins. He takes on the sin of the world and he dies. How unsafe can that be, okay? So that's why it's worth it, though, right? Because he did it for us. But Jesus says something to them that is truly terrifying, and he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And that is the game changer right here. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This doesn't mean that disciples and that we have the power to forgive, right? This isn't saying like, you know what? I don't feel like you are deserving of forgiveness, so I'm sorry you're going to go to hell. Okay? No, that's not what it's saying. This 
isn't saying that they are now the agents who get to choose who is in and who is out. He is saying that he is sending them so that people might receive forgiveness that comes through the sacrifice that he, that he was, that Christ was. And if the sin isn't forgiven at that point, when they lead him to that forgiveness, and if they aren't forgiven of their sins at that point when they don't ask for it, then what happens? Okay? What is more important than sin being forgiven, right? I mean, that is end game. People, we want them saved. People need to be saved from their sins. They need to be saved from where they're at, from where they are, and they need to be saved into God's family, okay? He is saying, I will send you just as the Father has sent me. He has sent me as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin and as a way of redemption so that we can be brought back into the fold of the Father's kingdom. So he is sending them, and the whole mission is this. It is forgiveness. And isn't that a crazy thought that we are supposed to be agents of this forgiveness and we sometimes can't even forgive people in our own lives? Now, this is just a side thought. This is like when I was writing this, this is nothing, this isn't safety, this is forgiveness now. But this is just a side thought because we are sent unsafely into this world with this message of hope through forgiveness. But sometimes we can't even forgive someone in our own family and we're supposed to go out and tell people how they can be freely forgiven. That's the message we're bringing. Free forgiveness. It's free, okay? All you have to do is ask. So after today, when you're pumped and you have the word of God in you and you're all jazzed up because the Holy Spirit's moving in this place and you're like, I'm going to go tell people about Christ. I'm going to go tell them about this forgiveness. I'm going to go tell them about this. Make sure that you have given freely forgiveness to the people that are in your life, okay? So... We're getting back to the Bible. Okay. We're going to go next, next verse. And this starts the second of the three encounters where Jesus revealed himself. And verse 24, now Thomas. Yes, now Thomas, right? I love Thomas. Um, where was Thomas the first time that the disciples were in this room? They were locked away and Jesus reveals himself. Thomas was not there. Thomas was not among them. Maybe he was out grabbing some Starbucks. Maybe he was getting some hummus and some pita chips or some naan bread. Or maybe he just slept in. Or and he's like, wasn't a part of the, maybe he wasn't invited to the lock-in. Literally, the lock-in. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe he was just kind of like, you know what? I'm good today. I, I've, I'm feeling a little bold. I'm going to go out and just walk amongst the Jews and just take my chances. Uh, whatever the reason, right? Thomas isn't in the room with the other disciples. So we're going to pick up our right, reading right there. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Doubting Thomas, right? This was Thomas's big moment, and this is why we remember Thomas, because he doubted. This is what made Thomas famous, doubt, okay? So another side note, don't do that. <laughs> don't be remembered for your doubt, okay? But there is so much more to Thomas than just this doubt. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, your hand, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, 
my Lord and my God. And you know how this must have sounded? Like, if I picture it in my head, it's like, oh, my Lord, my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm, I, I screwed up. Okay, I got it. I get it. And, you know, this is like a confessional phase. This is, this is confessing the faith that this is Christ, and this is the faith that he was previously lacking. And I found this in a... Um, this little blurb in a uh, commentary offline. And it said, With the proclamation by Thomas here, it is difficult to see how any more profound analysis of Jesus' person could be given. It echoes 1.1 and 1.14 together. The Word was God, the Word became flesh, and the fourth gospel opens with many other titles for Jesus. The Lamb of God, the Son of God, Rabbi, Messiah, the King of Israel, the Son of Man. And now this climax is reached with the proclamation by Thomas, My Lord and my God. And we have come full circle from, verse one, from chapter 1, verse 1, where the evangelist had introduced the reader to who Jesus was in 2028, 20, 20, where the last of the disciples has come to the full realization of who Jesus was. What Jesus had predicted in 828 had come to pass. And when you lift up the Son of, the man, son of man, you will know that I am. By being lifted up in crucifixion, which led in turn to death, resurrection, and exaltation with the Father, Jesus has revealed the true identity as both Lord and God. Then comes this awesome moment in verse 29. I love John chapter 20, verse 29, because it's about us. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen, and yet they have believed. That's you. That's me. We didn't get to place our finger in Jesus' hand. We didn't get to see him physically there. We didn't get to see Jesus appear in the room. We didn't get to put our hands in his side. Yet we've believed. So blessed are we, right? Blessed and happy are we. Now, jump into the next chapter. Chapter 21, verse 1. This is the third time Jesus will reveal himself to the disciples. So, after this, Jesus reveals himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of, Ge- of Cana-, Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and, other two, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out, and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. This has happened before. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, i.e. John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And Simon Peter heard it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Now Peter is not the sharpest crayon in the box. He puts his jacket on to jump in the water. God can use anybody, right? I love Peter because Peter's just trying to get to the Lord before anybody else because he's about to get, he's probably just so excited, but maybe he even, like Pastor Dave and I were talking, maybe he just wants to get to God because he knows that God's going to have something to say to him because of all of his denial, the denying three times. He's probably like, oh, he's going to say something. I got to get there before the other disciples because I don't want to get this tongue lashing in front of everybody else. 
but they still kind of get there the same time as he does. So joke's on you, Peter. You put your coat on and jump in the water. Maybe if you didn't put your coat on, you'd be there in time. So, <laughs> um, so God can use anybody. Just putting that out there too. <laughs> so the other disciples come in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, and they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. And when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish, and they were laid out in it, and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And now was the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So safety. We're going to talk about safety. Um, let's imagine for a moment that I went out and just bought myself an ATV, okay? I have not done this, but I would love to. Just one day show up. I mean, maybe I wouldn't love to do that. I'd actually have to talk to my wife about it, and we'd have to, you know, I wouldn't just show up with it be like, hey, guess what I bought? Actually, she might be excited about that because she loves four-wheeling, but she is going to have to wait a few months. Um, so I go out, and I buy this ATV, and I bring it home, and I ride it around, and there's something wrong with it. And I'm like, what is wrong with this thing? So I call my dad because he's more mechanically inclined than I am. I'm like, dad, there's something wrong with my ATV. Will you please come over and check it out? He gets out there, and he's going through it. He's checking the motors, checking the fluids. He's checking everything, checking the belts, checking the steering, all this stuff. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with your ATV. It's completely fine. Um, where are you riding it at? And I'm like, well, I'm just riding it on the roads, right? It's like my golf cart. I'm going to just take it around, cruise around the, the cul-de-sac, and just drive around there. And he's like, well, that's not going to work. This thing is meant to go off-road. It's all-terrain. It is not a road vehicle. And this is meant to go through woods. It's going through water, across rocks and sand and dirt and mud. And isn't that us? We take ourselves who are meant for so much more, and we put ourselves on the beaten path. We put ourselves on the paved road, and we stick to that. Sometimes that is our walk. Have you ever been on a trail horse? There is nothing more exciting that you can do with your life than get on a horse. You sit there and you jump on that horse and you're up in the saddle and it's huge and you're on this enormous landscape with tons of acres and hills and trails and mountains and water and all kinds of stuff and you're up in this horse and you're like, man, this is going to be awesome. There's a sunset out there. I got my pistol. I'm going to run off to the sunset, shoot my gun up in the air. And the guy grabs the bridle of the horse and he's like, where do you want to go? Oh, yay. You're going to guide this horse around. I want to go there. Okay, let's go over here. I want to go over there. Okay, let's go over there. Wow, this is fun, right? I'm a grown man, and you are guiding my horse around. I can't even ride my own horse because you're going to guide me around these trails. Yay. All right? So that is thrilling. So our Christianity is not meant to be a guided tour on a trail horse. It was not designed for the safe confines of the American dream. It wasn't designed for a 401k and to make sure that all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted financially. And these are not bad things, okay? But 
These aren't the ultimate goal of faith in God and following Jesus. I wonder if sometimes we think that something is wrong with our walk when in fact everything is completely right. There's nothing wrong with that all-terrain vehicle. It's just not made for the terrain I'm looking to drive it on. And this begins to make sense in our relationship with God when we put it in the environment that it is intended for. That environment is mission, not missions. We don't all have to be go missionaries, but it is mission. We are on mission. That environment is living beyond ourselves. That environment is so much more than your nine to five. That is so much more than living for the weekend. It's so much more for, than a getaway to the lake or the beach. And I love those things, okay? I, I do. I mean, I mean nine to five. Nah, I don't love those things. But the rest of it, the living for the weekend, the beach, the lake, that's great. It's all these things, and they're fun. They're fu- you know, it's great having hang out with friends. This is good. But as long as we understand that the goal is not comfortable retirement, the goal is to live life on mission. The goal is to follow Jesus and share his story of forgiveness and of love. It is designed to live in a way that is unsafe. The Western world idea of safety is an absolute illusion. Can you imagine going swimming right now and you're out in the river or a lake and there are water moccasins or alligators in the water? I mean, that's absolutely terrifying, right? But yet we drive in cars every day. The idea of a car, (laughs) heck no, I'm not going to go swimming in a lake with gator. But some of us to get to church today, we might have driven like 70, 75 just to get here. All right? And let's us we got a huge chunk of steel and aluminum and plastic sitting on four pieces of rubber, and we're just hauling down the road. And there's other people hauling down the road. We don't even know what's going on in their minds. We don't know what's going on with them in general. I mean, safety, right? All right. So safety is this illusion, right? We don't even know what's going on inside of our bodies. We don't know inside if our organs are functioning correctly. We don't know if this breath that I take right now could be my last one. I don't know that, right? Our life is a mist, here one day and gone the next. And that is, uh, I know this is really assuring, right? We're all like, oh man, is Pastor David getting back up here anytime soon now? Is he going to take this back over? Because this guy's really bringing this place down. Uh, every party needs a pooper, and Jake's up there uh, <laughs> pooping all over this party. <laughs> so, but we could realize this one true thing in life is faith, trust in God. Life is fragile. Life is finite, okay? <laughs> it is a dust in the wind. It is this mist. It's here one moment. It's gone the next, James 4.14. Safety. No, Jesus did not come to offer the world safety as we define it. He did not come to offer safety that our country has defined. This idea of the American dream where, you know, you go to work and you do this, you get this money, you buy this nice house and you get this family and you get your, you know, you keep doing this and then what, and then what, and then what, and you just have these, you know, this list and then what happens? You die. What was it all for, right? Jesus didn't show, (laughs) Jesus doesn't show up and say, David, Paul, I am so glad that you have this plan, and I'm going to stick with it. Oh, look at the time. This is a five-minute meeting. God bless. (laughs) No, that's not how God, that's not how Jesus is going to work. He came to offer security for our soul, 
but he never promised safety, okay? He didn't promise safety for our plans. He didn't promise safety for our schedule or our lifestyle or our bodies. But look how quickly the other disciples go back to playing it safe. Give them three days, and they're behind locked doors, scared. Just a few days before the crucifixion, they're, they are jazzed. They are pumped. They're like, we got this. God, let's go. Let's take this world. We, we're going to change the world. Let's go. Peter's like, I will never deny you. I will die with you. <laughs> Jesus gone. Whoa, I don't know him. Ooh, everyone just hide him. Let's all run away. I mean, this, yeah, fear, right? Fear. And it gets, <laughs> fear is all of us. We all go. Um, but now they're here in this room. And they're sitting there, and they're probably like, oh, do you think he's coming back? It's been three days. I mean, where is he at? Uh, he, he said he'd be back in three days. Was that a metaphor? Did we miss something? Do they think they know we're in here? Are they coming for us? I'm too young to die. Hold me. Oh, I'm scared. Hold me too, please. No. They, they, they migrate to this idea of safety <laughs> and this, the locked door. Locks, locks are funny things, aren't they? Just this, this, you know, you think of a deadbolt, and then someone just comes up and poof. Okay, there's that. Safe. Once again, sorry about that, guys. Sorry, I don't want to take away all your ideas of safety, but let's just, let's just get real here. All right, so. <laughs> but then Jesus says something absolutely crazy. And do you know why Jesus had to walk through their locked door? So they wouldn't stay behind the locked door. But a week later, where are they? behind a locked door. <laughs> and that's us, right? <laughs> we, we can have this experience with God, this, this God encounter, and he's there, and he's moving, and we're jazzed, and it's like, whoa, yes, Jesus! And then it's like a week later, we're like, hmm, I don't want to talk to that person because I don't want them to think I'm weird. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to offend anybody today. I don't, you know, you, get, you, you put yourself in this idea, and you, you, you hide, and we're back there behind our doors. And then Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Which is the most, that I think anyway, the most horribly unsettling thing that he could say. Because why was he sent, right? Don't think on it too much. Okay, good old Thomas. Back to Thomas. First group is behind locked doors because of what? They, were, they want to live safe because they were scared. The second is not a group. It is just one person. And this guy is hurt. Thomas is hurt. Thomas says, I won't believe until I see. And we can belittle him all we want because, and, um, because of his doubt. And we want to, you know, uh, you know t- Thomas, oh, Thomas, Thomas the doubter and stuff like that. But when we take time to think about where he was, he was a follower of Christ. He was a disciple. He was with him every day. And now where he's at, where Jesus is dead, it's three days later, and he is probably just hurt. He's thinking, oh, his, his eggs. He's like, God, I had all my eggs in this basket. I put them all in. I'm in here. And Jesus is dead. And there was no change in this injustice that is being done because the economical and social um, Everything that's happening to the Jews, like economically and socially is what I meant. And this people group, they are, they're marginalized, they're brutalized, and all this stuff is coming against the Jews, and they're oppressed, and they are, and he's like, 
Jesus is supposed to come and fix this. Jesus was supposed to change these things. Nothing's changed. It's three days later, and he is still gone. And he says, these women, they say they saw him. And you, all the disciples, you say you saw him. But until I see him, and I place my fingers in his hand and my hand in his side, I will never believe. I've been hurt. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to protect my emotions. That is the only thing I will believe is when I see it for myself. And I am done putting myself out there. And how many of us have said that? I am done putting myself out there. I am done being hurt. This guy is a follower of Jesus. Thomas is a big deal. He is going to help extend the message of the gospel across the world. And here he is dealing with a real human emotion. Okay? And this emotion is rooted in the idea of safety. Thinking, I was hurt, and now I don't want to be hurt again. So I'm going to have this checklist of things before I let somebody else in. Because I don't want to be hurt. And her people are isolated people. And this is why we find Thomas on his own. And what an amazing God that we serve that Jesus will go out of his way for one person. Jesus appears to the disciples again for Thomas. And he says, Thomas, I'm here for you. You said that you wouldn't believe until you see me. And you put your finger in my hand and your hand in my side. So here I am. And can you just imagine how Thomas feels in this moment? It's like, you know what? Okay. I, my Lord, my God, I, I see you, okay? Let's, we're good. I see you, all right? I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't really need to put my finger, I don't need to put my hand, no, 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 Thomas, come on. Let's, you said you needed to put your fingers in my hands and your hand on my side. Yeah, but I was just, I was hurt and I was just kind of talking out of my emotions. No, Thomas, go ahead. Uh, okay, okay. And he puts his finger in the holes that were pierced for our sin. And he puts his hands in the side of Christ who was pierced for us. Okay? What a moment that is. Probably a little weird too. I mean like, you know, and that's just, let's go. <laughs> and then there's the last group, okay? First group, there are fearful disciples, and they're locked behind doors. Then there's a hurt disciple who was not going to believe until he sees it with his own eyes and feels it with his own hands. And the one safety is, the first safety is, I'm going to lock myself up. And can we say, I'm going to just jump back to the whole, I was talking about retirement before, and can we just say that one idea, one way that we lock ourselves behind is our trusting in our money, okay? And now I know I've said, last time actually I spoke, I got going on money too because I was talking about missions and the world and everything like that, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that you shall put your trust in your 401k. You, nowhere in the Bible does it say you shall put your trust in your wallet or your checkbook or your bank account. What if God asked you to give everything away? You know what's crazy? Is that that's crazy, okay? <laughs> I'm not against retirement, I'm not, and I'm not against financial security. But I don't want to believe in that more than I believe in Jesus. And the world's probably going to look at you like you're crazy. You did what? You gave money away? Why would you do that? Because it's for the God of heaven and earth. But they still think we're crazy, right? Because you give money away. You're giving money to 
this, this God that we can't see him, you know? I don't see him, but I'm not going to lock myself away behind anything that guarantees nothing in regards to my safety. So there's this last group, okay? And they're led by Peter, good old Peter, Mr. Jacket jumping in the water, Peter, all right? And he says, that's it. I'm going fishing. And these other guys are like, let's go. Back to the old job. We're going back to the old grindstone. And this is the challenge for so many people is going back to what we know, to lean into the known instead of the unknown. If you hang out with what is known, you already know where you're going to end up. Nothing's going to change. You've been there. If you lean into the known, you're there. You've been there. You know it. You know how it ends. You know how it goes. Why don't we take a step this way into the unknown, into God's hands? I mean, we're human, right? And that's God. And if you think of what God's supposed to be, and God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, everything. He's got us. He's got our back. <laughs> I mean, that's who I'd put my trust in. And so many times I do lean here into the known, like into what I've already, where I've been, what I know, how I do these things and all this stuff and how I talk to people, how I interact with people, how I, who I interact with. You know, like even like on a Sunday morning, sometimes I don't go talk to somebody I haven't seen before. Sometimes I just go back and talk to the people I like or know. And I should say like, I like all of you. But, you know, like I'm thinking like, I mean, I, I know, like, I have this, like, routine. Like, I'm going to go say hi to this person. I'm going to go say hi to this person. I'm going to go this way and that. And what if we step out of our comfort zones and God uses us in that moment, right? Maybe we touch someone's life or someone touches our life. So Peter leans into the known. Six others follow him. And some of us, you know, we're, we're here and... We're thinking about all the stuff that happens and, you know, in our country, right? Think about our country. I mean, it is weird right now. There's an article. Who saw the article about Texas's state wrestling champion, the girl state wrestling champion who has been taking hormones to become a man, and she wanted to, she wanted, or he, this transgender turning male from a female wanted to, wrestle in the male division but because the birth certificate says female she had to wrestle female and she went undefeated all season long and when she wins and pins the last state champion she is state champion she pins this person on the mat and the crowd boos for her because she couldn't wrestle male and this is the world that we're in and this is the world that we are going out and trying to save (laughs) a world where people don't know what they are okay and not just that, not just the gender issues, but the sexuality of it. I mean, in a world where pornography leads industries, is the, you know, some of the leading industries of, and money makers in our country, things like that. I mean, it is just a sad and sorry world. Human trafficking shouldn't be a thing, but it is, and it is a profitable thing, and it is scary, okay? And our country is so racially and sexually, financially and spiritually divided. And this is real. This is the world that we are in. And our minds are telling us, go lock yourself behind that door and just weather the storm. Avoid all contact with anything controversial and anything that's awkward or anything that could be taken offensively. But we are called to live out there. 
And we can't hide behind this hurt. We can't hide behind what we see and feel. Our five senses, they're going to lie to us. There is an unseen world out there, and it is a very real world. It's more real than what our senses can give us. I mean, just in this church, right? I mean, the Spirit moves on this place. I mean, you could just feel it even just during worship today. The Spirit was hanging heavy in this place. You just feel it. I was just getting emotional, and I just, you could just, you know there's something else beyond what we can just taste, touch, hear, see, and feel. There's so much more. And this world is telling us, go hide behind your doors. Don't talk offensively. Don't take a stand for something. You offend me. Faith is evidence of things not seen. The known is overrated. I want to lean into the unknown. But these disciples lean into the known, and they go back to fishing, and God comes to them in the same way he did it before. And sometimes we ask God to do something again. Maybe, we re- maybe we've been saved from something and we kind of revert back to it and we're like, God, can you save me again? Can you do that again? Can you do this miracle again? And if I were God, <laughs> oh, come on, I did it once. It's good enough, right? No, God says, okay, I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. And I'll keep doing it as long as you need me to do it. So he's out there and he's like, hey, you guys catch anything? No. Cast your nets on the other side. I heard that before. And Josh says, John looks up and he's like, that's him. <laughs> and Peter's like, oh my word, somebody give me my coat. <laughs> and I want to be a disciple on that boat. What are they talking about? Like, dude, we're only 100 yards offshore. Why? What, what's going on with Peter? Why did he get his coat? I'm like, I want to be, I want to be in the disciples. Like, I want to know what the talk, the chatter about that is. Like, what is going on? Like, Peter? <sighs> guy, that guy's just weird. And you know what's funny about Peter also? Is Peter is the one who walked on water, but he also sank really quick. And Peter means Petros, and Petros is the rock, and Peter sank like a rock. So who doesn't say God has a sense of humor, right? <laughs> All right. And then they get to the shore, and what is Jesus doing? He is playing the role of chef. And back then, and even now it really kind of still is, eating together is such a form of intimate relationship. And they're sitting there, and they were quiet. Because they knew that it was God. And they're sitting there, just a little crunching on some fish and some bread, just the pop of the fire there, and they're just hanging out with Jesus in the quiet. So the first group, they were glad when they saw Christ, when they knew it was him. T- Thomas, he's dumbfounded. My Lord, my God, I'm an idiot. And the third group, the fishers, they don't say anything. So which group are you? Are you the group behind the locked doors? Our country hits back. Hurry, hurry, get behind the locked doors. Lock it. A president or a political party is not the answer, right? They have their part to play in this world, but it means nothing in the big picture. It doesn't. This is not our story, and God is playing a small part in it. This is God's story, and we're just playing a small part in it because this story has been going on since forever. Okay, This has been going on since the beginning of time, and it's still going after us. And Jesus shows up. And says, in the way the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. 
And do not think about that too much. Don't do it. Think about Jesus, what he did. Go do it. <laughs> that's, what, that's why I called our youth group Vertical Student Ministries because it is that vertical chase, right? We're trying to be like Christ. We are chasing after that higher calling, that higher life. Are you Thomas? Are you, has someone, has God hurt you? Has God let you down? Do you feel like maybe God's not there right now? Are you driving on your paved road and kind of cruising down that paved road and you're just supposed to be off-road and you're feeling like hurt and like you're maybe in the wrong path or maybe your relationship's broken. You're like, God, where are you at? Where are you? And now you're, you're hurt and you're making these lists. Well, next time I let someone in, they have to do this and this and this. And don't be hurt. Don't be Thomas. Don't doubt. Don't be that. Are you the fisherman? Do you find yourself going back to what's comfortable? Do you find yourself leaning back into the known? Because when you do that, when you lean into this known, all you're going to find is what you've already found. Nothing new is going to happen. And if you're okay with that, that is scary. We need to go into the unknown. We've got to go after what God has in store because his plan is the big plan. His plan is good, okay? I was talking about the ATV and stuff like that. And I even just being in this town with the, we're, we're making Jeeps now. We got the Jeep Grand Cherokee coming out. And I think about Jeeps and I think about Land Rovers and I think about um, all, uh, Hummers and all these vehicles. And I was talking to Joe just recently and he said he was at the, the auto show and they take you on this Jeep experience. And he's like, yeah, there's at one point they take you and they're driving around and you're like basically sitting back in your seat. And then the guy's like, well, this is why we have seatbelts. And they go forward and you're going straight down into the, you, you know, if you don't have your seatbelt, you're off the, pa- the, front glass and stuff like that. And we don't drive Jeeps like that anymore. People get Jeeps just drive on the road. You get a Land Rover, it's a nice expensive car. It's a luxury vehicle. Land Rovers were designed originally to be off-road vehicles, and now they are considered like a luxury vehicle. Hummers, right? Military-grade vehicles are being used as luxury vehicles. And you think, <laughs> that's not what we're designed for. That's not what they're designed for. They're designed. They're not living up to their calling. So if you have one of these vehicles, go drive it off through some grass sometime today. Just hit a curb or something. Just go, okay? If you have a truck, go hit a curb. Just go for it. It's going to be great. Let it just feel a little alive like it's doing part of its purpose. I want, a lot of, I want a lot of rubber. Don't hit this curb right here. We don't want all that rubber marks there. Just hit the next one down the road. <laughs> Safety is a scary thing. All right, it's so easy to get caught up in what is safe. Where do we find our safety? Whether it's finances, whether it's our friendships, whether it's our family, whether it's relationships, where do we find our thing? And you know what? It's not supposed to be safe, but we are secure. We have a security, and it is in God, and God has this perfect plan. God, whose story has been going on since forever. It never started because it's always been going, which is so weird for us to concept, for us to have a concept of. <sighs> we have like, you know, you try to think about beginning of time and there wasn't a beginning of time. It just always was. And it's just like, what? That, no, no, it, it has to be a start. There always has to be a start and there's a finish. And No, it's just going to, it's always been going. And it's always going to go. When we die, we're going to last 
till, till ever. I mean, it's not going to stop. So when you think about that, and you think about this message of forgiveness that we carry, and if we don't share it with the world, we're condemning people to live that ever in hell. And it's scary to think of that. So get unsafe. Get out there. And get uncomfortable. We've got to stop hiding behind these doors with our hurt and turning to our comfort zones. We've got to stop using the word comfort in church. It's a horrible word. Comfort is ugly. You know, we think about like, oh, talk to this person, but it's going to be weird. They're going to think I'm weird. This is going to be awkward. I don't know what to say. It's not. It's not about that. God, just let God use you. He will. All right? You give it over to God, he's going to use it. I mean, it's just amazing the way he will open up the paths for you to go down. It is crazy how God makes things happen. You ask for God to, you're like, God, give me some words to say. And you go up and start talking, and like, how did the conversation go that way? Where did it go? I didn't even know what I was doing. And it's like, wow, God actually answered my prayer? God actually listens? What? What? What is this? No. C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Roadrobe, um, there's a part where Mr. Beaver is talking to the kids about Aslan. And he says this, safe? Don't you hear what Miss Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Our God isn't safe. And we're not called into this safe existence, but our God is good. And the path he has for us, it's also good. So now we're going to come together as a family. We're going to take communion. We're going to gather at the table here. Pastor, we come forward and do us that. Ushers, if you would come, prepare to serve our people. Before we do, I want to read a little something. It says, but in following the instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you to be recognized. For when you come together... Is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What do you not have houses? He goes on to say that if you take communion unworthily, that oftentimes you'll be sick in body. He says, uh, verse 27, whoever eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Christ of the Lord. The reason I bring that up is because the Lord was talking to me about it this morning. He reiterated, reiterated it with what Jake was saying, that sometimes... The safest thing to do is to do what everybody else does. Now, when we take communion, go ahead and start. When we take communion, it's a time where you examine yourself, and you look at your life, and you say, I mean, in light of the message you just heard, in light of the words you just heard, what is it that God is dealing with me? Some of us, sometimes, need to turn away the cup and the bread because we know we're not where we're supposed to be with the Lord. 